started. I got it. I was like, I'm posting. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sachs's Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher, and I'm an associate professor at Clemson University. I'm also your host for this program. Today, we will be discussing a new hiring model recently implemented at James Madison University. We're going to be talking with the team that developed and implemented this idea, discuss how it came to be, what the process has been, how it worked, and lessons learned and ideas for the future. This is actually the first of a two-part series. Today, we'll be talking about the planning for the hiring approach, and the next episode is gonna focus on the experiences of members from the cohort itself. So we're excited to share this information with all of you today. I wanna to welcome my guests, Danae Peterson, Trip Perks, Dom Rodriguez, and Miles Surrett. Welcome everyone. I'm really glad that you were able to be here today. If we could, would you mind taking a moment and introducing yourselves? But if you could start by talking a little bit about who you are outside of work. So what are your hobbies? What are some things maybe you're reading, watching, or listening to? Whatever you'd like to share with our listeners. And Danae, if you don't mind starting it off, that would be awesome. Yes, good morning, everyone. My name is Danae Peterson. Um, I use she, her pronouns, and some of my hobbies. So I like to sing. Um, I do Zumba, and I really, really like to watch reality TV when I have the time. Um, currently, I'm reading um, Emergent Strategy, so I'm taking um, an intro to advocacy studies class um, for my grad program, and that is a book for class that I'm reading. And then just for leisure, I'm reading Marriage Be Hard by Kevin and Melissa Fredericks. Um, so if you just need a good read, it's funny. I'm listening to it on Audible. It's great. Um, watching currently, well, right now it's on a break, but I'm watching La Brea. I love the show La Brea. Um, and then I'm also watching Love and Hip Hop, any of them. So right now there's like a family reunion season. So that just started yesterday. And then of course it's after Thanksgiving. So I'm listening to Christmas music on repeat. Yeah. Okay. Did you just start listening after Thanksgiving or are you someone who's been listening since the middle of October? No, I, I, I kind of try to stay true to like right at Thanksgiving. So we travel for Thanksgiving. So the road trip is where it starts. So there you go. wherever we're going, there's Christmas music from now until Christmas. And that sounded like there was some judgment in it. I didn't really mean that. I just, <laughs> I'm just curious when, when that season starts for people. So thank you so I'll much. Yeah, I'll get tired of it easy. So I try to block it right at Thanksgiving. Perfect. Thank you. And Trip, how about you? Awesome. Uh, hey, everybody. I'm Trip Perks. I use he and him pronouns. Um, and outside of work, um, I a lot of the stuff that takes up my time, I have three kids. Uh, so I have a seven-year-old girl, a five-year-old boy, and a two-and-a-half-year-old girl. Um, and they could occupy any of these categories, hobbies, reading, watching, <laughs> writing. Um, but uh, when our family isn't sort of moving at a high speed, uh, some of the things I love to do, um, I love to be outside. Uh, we live kind of out in the county a little bit on some land. And so there's always something to do. Um, chopping wood, mowing the lawn, you know, making making something in the yard that looks gross look nicer. <laughs> um, and uh, I also love to, to cook and bake. And so um, I had a buddy recently inspire me to get back into 
bread making was something we both picked up during the pandemic, like the rest of the world probably that were stuck at home. And I kind of walked away from it for a little while, but pulled my pulled my bread starter out of the fridge, fed it, and got back into it. Um, reading right now, I'm reading two books. One of them is called Brave New Work, uh, which is thinking about um, what keeps us from doing the best work of our lives and looking at some traditional obstacles in, in hierarchy organizations and how to push against them a little bit to, to, to make work more human. Um, and I'm also reading a book called Raising Emotionally Strong Boys, um, which is helping me immensely uh, as I try to try to figure out how to how to meet my five-year-old in between two strong female personalities, older and younger, where he is and figure out what he needs. Um, watching and listening, I'm a big uh, I'm a big fandom guy. So I'm all on Disney Plus. So I love Marvel stuff. I love Star Wars. Um, I love kind of all the all the nerdy stuff. Um, so I, I've been watching Andor, which I love, um, which we'll talk about another time. And over the weekend, I watched um, Wakanda Forever, which was an unbelievable experience um, and promptly followed it up with listening to like three hours of podcasts about each of those things. So uh, I feel like I'm right at home here in a, in a podcast space. So that's me. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Dom, tell us about you. Yes. Hi. Um, my name is Dom Rodriguez. My full name is Dominique, but y'all are, everyone's welcome to call me Dom. Um, I use she, her pronouns. Um, and yeah, I, I think about my hobbies and I'm one of those people that I always have to ask people. I'm like, what do I like? And what do I do? Cause I just forget half the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have, um, two dogs and two cats. So those are my, my fur babies. They're my life and a, a wonderful partner who helps me raise those. Um, I always say that I, I birth them myself because they're that important to me and I love them very much. Um, so they take up a lot of our time and that's how I spent my Thanksgiving was just cuddling with them on the couch. So that's very much giving me life right now still. Um, I'll say I'm, I'm a big person that likes to rewatch things that I've seen several times because I think it's I don't know. It's comforting. I like to know what's going to happen. Um, so right now I'm rewatching Desperate Housewives. That's just a great place for me right now. <laughs> it's such a dramatic show. It's it's nice to, you know, watch something a little crazy when I get home from a crazy day of work. Um, but yeah, so that's really funny. And also Chopped is just a great go-to to help me, yeah, think about some different cooking ideas, but also just a little fun stuff. Um, so the last thing I, I read that I was really into that's not related to work at all, thank goodness, but it, it was fascinating was uh, Jeanette McCurdy's bio um, that she did her her memoir. So it's called I'm Glad My Mom Died. And it was just fascinating. She's a crazy resilient person um, and watched so much of her interviews and just talking about her experience as a child actor um, and just what she's gone through. So really recommend that. Uh, that book it's a really hard one but it's really really good yeah wonderful miles how about you well hi everyone my name is monsterette i use he him pronouns um i have um i uh like spending time with my family as well and that's a constant adventure i like to say that they have really uh, widened my emotional range as a human being so um but you know that's um there's a lot of excitement and enjoy in that. Um, I also um, really enjoy uh, what I would broadly call exercising now. I used to just be a runner, but my partner is a physical therapist and they've really uh, helped me broaden my uh, broaden my exercise profile, which I think has been good in terms of my own wellness and uh, that sort of stuff. And 
sometimes when I get hurt from running, I can still exercise in other ways, which is nice. So, um, that's a, that's a fun thing. Um, I like to cook too. Um, uh, more of a cooker than a than a baker um, and have some sort of um, odd, like uh, home preserving habits that I think people generally think are kind of interesting. So I um, make our own kombucha and um, once a year I uh, have a take off a very cool day and do a lot of pickling with my mother-in-law. This year we put up 67 jars in one day, which was a real doozy of a day. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, and I'm a pretty, uh, pretty uh, avid, um, like, uh, pop culture consumer as well. So Trip, I just, I also just finished Andor, and I'm excited to talk to you about that sidebar, uh, which is, which was amazing. And um, it, I'm currently rewatching a, a Star Wars animated show called Rebels, um, because I was so amped after finishing Andor. Um, so um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm currently watching. Um I think it's sort of a parody in my life that a lot of the things I reference are New York articles. So that's something that I'm regularly reading. Um, and I'm currently reading a pretty recent book that came out uh, called The Storm is Here, which is about January 6th, written by a um, former war correspondent who came home to cover sort of uh, the the protest movement um, and sort of anti-pandemic lockdown kind of uh, movement. And you won't be surprised to hear that he primarily writes outside of this book for the New Yorker. So yeah, that's, uh, that's me. That's great. Well, it sounds like maybe you should have a little chopped competition given your areas of interest. Um, so if you do that, let me know and we can do a follow-up podcast on it. Um, one more question before we kind of get into the topic today. We talk a lot about how small student affairs and higher education can be. So I would love if each of you could talk a little bit about a person or a few people who really have been instrumental in your experience, either as students, as staff, just, you know, my hope is always that the listeners at some point will go, oh, I know that person too. So to kind of reinforce those connections, but um, Trip, would you mind starting us off this time? And who, who are some of those people for you? Of course. Um, so the person that jumps to mind immediately is someone who I'm not in contact with as regularly as I would like, but is someone who has had a, a very formative um, kind of mark on my life it's a student affairs person, and person was my supervisor, my grad school apprenticeship. Now, um, sad to say, it's been like 12 years ago since we worked together every day, which is um, aging me a bit, but I can, you know, look right in the mirror at that. Uh, but her name was uh, Dr. Sally Parrish, um, and she is at the University of Memphis now um, in, a, in a big role that has a lot of words, um, but still doing the same stuff. I think she's an associate vice president now. Um, but when we worked together, we worked in orientation and leadership development, which became a big part of my the first half of my career. Um, and uh, we were at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, where I went to grad school, and she had been a couple different places, but a lot of um, Southeastern kind of conference stuff with a lot of shro. I don't know if that resonates with any of your listeners. I don't even know if Sally, Sally maybe if you're listening to this podcast, shout out. Um, it'd, be, it'd be cool, too. But uh, folks that are really involved in the orientation world, that was a, bit, that was a big deal for us in those, those big SEC schools is a ton of fun. Um, but I think about, you asked about influence. And so she taught me a couple of things um, that I still try to hold true to this day, but 
Um, continuing the idea of like, take what you do really seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. I think especially in orientation, that was like a, like a huge torch I had to carry. Um, because on one hand we were doing really, really serious work. And then on another hand, I would be involved with something that, that felt, um, real different. You know, you go from talking about uh, assessment and building a program and retention rates, and, and then you're doing, um, icebreakers and you're stacking tables and you're, I'm, and then I'm a catering coordinator or I'm driving a golf cart, you know, so it was really the whole full spectrum. And she taught me that all and all that stuff, servant leadership was a big deal for her. And so all the work we do, um, the leader, the leader does it right alongside the, the students, the grad students, the undergrad students. Um, so you could go from talking to the, the vice chancellor one moment, and then maybe you need to be working with a, a student who just stepped on campus the first day of orientation, the next. And, and you're bringing your, your, your core values and your servant leadership mindset to that. And um, that was huge for me as, a, as a, a new grad student wondering what the field was gonna be like. And um, I really carry a lot of those things she taught me with me. Even now I don't work in orientation anymore, but um, that, that, has, that was a huge stamp on how I developed as a leader and um, a big part of the way that she mentored me um, as my supervisor. Great, thank you. Dom. Yeah, I, when I was thinking about this, I thought of several different people, so I'll try to keep it short with just a couple. Um, the first is that when I first kind of got into student affairs, it was through being an RA, which I think a lot of people have that experience, um, but I didn't get hired right away. I was put on an alternate list. Um, I was 19. I didn't interview well. I still don't think I interviewed that well, um, but I was put on an alternate list, and I wasn't informed until the summer that, hey, we have a spot for you, like someone quit, so please come join us. Um, and I said, yes. So um, my hall director at the time, his name um, is Jim George. Uh, he really took me under his wing and he, we kind of had jokes all year that I was the alternate, but everybody knew how much I loved that job and how much it meant to me. And I think it was maybe the first week of classes, he told me, he's like, have you thought about being a hall director? And I was like, Jim, I was just an alternate. I wasn't even supposed to have this job. Um, what do you mean? Should I be a hall director? You're crazy. Um, but he saw something in me really, really early on. Um, and I ended up, did I did end up becoming a hall director and he was the reference for me um, a couple of years down the down the way there but um but yeah he he saw that really early on he wasn't afraid to say it um and to keep encouraging me even though i kept shutting him down um for multiple times he would bring it up he'd be like no dom i'm serious like we need to talk about this and i don't think i would be here today if he hadn't have pushed me to do that so yeah kind of like trip someone i wish i was still in contact with more often um but life happens and he's now a middle school teacher which is a beautiful fit for him um so love that um the other person i want to mention is actually a student um that i worked with like really early on in the pandemic um uh i'll just his first name is eli and he's just such a sweetheart but he had a very difficult time like many students did um because we were shut down and then they couldn't go to class and then things were moved online. And it was obviously a hot mess, um, not just at JMU, but everywhere. And it was really, really hard, but we met many times over Zoom. Then we met in a conference room and we would sit like at other ends of the conference room. We would get coffee together, but sit at opposite ends of the room. And he just had really awesome perspectives about life and thought about not doing college anymore. And we just talked about that. Um, and then, 
I would say last year I ran into him in the dining hall and he was like, I'm doing great. I am finishing early and I'm so glad I'm stuck around to get my degree. Um, and he's just a really, really great student and reminds me like why I like doing this work. So he's, um, he's a really big one there. I love that. Miles, how about you? Yeah. Um, the person that I, I like started this process hoping to imitate her career was my advisor um, in undergrad. So I went to Furman University in South Carolina for undergrad. And my advisor's um, name is Carol Daniels. And she, I was her 25th and last orientation staff chair. And she started there. Um, she started there as an admin and then uh, put herself through school at night got a degree in economics all while, you know, raising a family. And um, I think every time that somebody is in my office, I hope that they will feel as like seen and cared for and listened to as I felt every time that I was in Carol's office. There are still things that she told me, you know, many, many years ago at this point that I think about on a regular basis, not just about this work, but also about, you know, like life and relationships and um, somebody who um, made a tremendous impact on my life. And I am like, so not unique in that. Um, she was somebody who like really in, in very informal and learned and instinctive ways um, understood student development. And, um, and so, yeah, Carol Daniels is, um, an amazing person. I mean, she's been retired for well over a decade now. Um, and, um, it's just, just a, a, a great influence on my life and a lot of other people's. So. Thanks miles. And Danae, how about yes, you? I have a number. I'll keep it concise too. Um, so a couple of people that came to mind, um, were Mr. Art Dean. So he's the, uh, AVP of diversity, equity, and inclusion here at JMU and also Valerie Gant, who works in the Center for Multicultural Student Services. Um, our Dean, he gave me an opportunity to come to JMU. I was on the wait list and my mom, she wrote this letter, which probably wasn't the nicest letter, but she wrote this letter and he like took a chance on me um, and continued to take chances on me even when I didn't do so well as a student. And so in pivotal parts of my life, um, academically and personally, he's a pastor too. So it's been really cool to just like I'm like I've grown up like it before his eyes same way with Miss Gant um she really just encourages me that I can do anything I want to she doesn't have a traditional student affairs background and neither do I and so as a student affairs professional um navigating it can be hard because you're like what am I doing what is the terminology what are you guys saying and doing I wasn't RA like I didn't do any of that and so to watch her as a director um you know, she's a really great guide and she's someone who I can like bounce anything off um, at any time. Um, and then I have my husband and my three daughters. So I have three daughters. They are amazing. My husband's amazing. And those are my why. Like they make me want to do better all the time. And so I'm in grad school and for my daughters, like I want them to know that they can do anything. And so they're like probably more excited about my homework than I am. They're like, mom, you got homework, you have to study. And so it's like, I want them to know like, yes, school is great. Um, and that you can do whatever you want to do. Um, and then finally, I also put my two bosses. And so Dr. Brent Lewis and Dr. Mouseret, and not just because Miles is on this call, but in the season that I'm in, I am going back to grad school. It's been a decade since I've been in school. Who does that, right? Um, but we're all kind of in the same age range and life season. And so both of them are doctors and they just like 
keep reiterating through their action that like age and life stage doesn't mean anything. Like you can do, like you can pursue more and then it's attainable even if you have three kids and a husband and all the things. And so I really feel like they've made the process of transitioning from just employee to also student a smooth one. You know, often people are like, well, how do your bosses feel? Or how do they feel about you going to class? And I'm like, they're like, no, go to class. And so um, they're some of my greatest advocates and they really have given me a space to be like vulnerable and like, hey guys, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm hoping that I'm assisting you both well. And they're like, girl, be quiet do your work and it's fine and so um in different stages I feel like I'm blessed to have people who are just like rooting for me um without like wanting anything in return except that I do well and that I do my job you know so it's just been really cool um yeah so those are my people well thank you all for that I it's actually one of my favorite parts of doing this role is just hearing people's stories and um, you know, who's lifted us up along the way. So, so let's talk about the cohort model. Um, kind of just to get started, if you would each just talk about how you came to the work, um, where the idea came from, and what your roles were in kind of developing this idea. And whoever would like to start. And I suppose it would probably make sense in terms of the idea. I can I can go first. So um, uh, we at JMU Student Affairs and Academic Affairs used to share a committee with the Board of Visitors and Academic Affairs came in and Dr. Cynthia Bowerly gave this really incredible presentation about the cohort hire process on the academic side. So cohort hires, as, as far as I know, and this has probably happened in, I think, in residence life in particular in some departmental level ways, um, not in some, I think in residence life, I think at a departmental level, this is a thing that people do. Um, and this is a thing that is, I'd say uncommon in academic affairs, but is a thing that is a model that exists. And Dr. Cynthia Bowerly came in, um, who's vice provost here at JMU at the time and gave a really convicting presentation about what cohorts had done for academic affairs at JMU. And basically me and Dr. Brent Lewis, who Danae mentioned, our colleague Deron Allen, basically like started, it was sort of like a Spider-Man meme of like, we were looking around and everybody was like, we should do this, we should do this, we should do this. And so that was September of 2021. And we just kind of kept pushing the ball forward from there. So, I mean, that's that's where it started. Um, my role in the process, the, the first cohort that we ran, I was the co-chair um, and um, helped I would say uh, put together and sort of sell the idea to folks um, and then have, you know, like one-on-one -on -one conversations to talk through questions, concerns, and then uh, continue to sort of guide the process and live in, in, in the messiness of doing something for the first time and the sort of ambiguity of getting, you know, a lot of people on the, on the same stage. And then um, Danae was the primary coordinator of the administrative process, but she and I teamed up also on on handling some of the logistics specifically around things like the schedule was was a challenge. Um, and so we we worked together to problem solve um, some of our how do we have multiple, you know, like, you know, people can only be in one place at one time, which was a legitimate issue that we were running into in the process, not just for candidates, but also for departments and hiring managers and that sort of stuff. So anyway, so that's that's the role that I played in the process and where the idea came from. How about the rest of you? What what was your role and 
how did you come into this sort of uh, new strategy for hiring? So I work in our Dean of Students office at JMU and we had an opening in our coordinator position. Uh, so we were approached by Miles and Duran to see if we wanted our position to be a part of this new initiative to uh, be a part of the cohort. Um, so along the way, we we said yes, and then we said no. Um, and then we were told we had to do it, actually. And Miles and I have talked about that, and we were totally fine. So, <laughs> um, and it ended up being great, and we have an awesome person in that role now. Um, but otherwise, I was the person representing the Dean of Students Office on the search committee. So I reviewed the applications. I was at all of the interviews. Um, went to the on-campus interviews for my own candidates, but also some of the other ones as well that were outside of my office, um, but I was technically on the committee for, um, so I was a part of that whole process of how you would just be on a search committee, but it was like being on seven search committees at the exact same time. Mm I was like, Miles already spoke to me, but my role um, was administrative. So coordinating meetings with the search committee, also coordinating and scheduling like the first round of interview times with all of the candidates, um, pretty much like putting everybody in a listserv so that we knew who was where, um, mm -hmm. helping like with the creation of the grid, even though Miles did a great job compiling the grid, great job, Miles. Um, and then coordinating their travel for the second round. And so I coordinated their flights, their hotel, if they drove, um, their mileage things, um, their food, um, creating the schedule for the on-campus. So where everyone was gonna be at what time with who the booking rooms um, and then coordinating on the back end to make sure that the search committee had what they needed, whether it was prints or all the things. And so, um, and then on the HR side, corresponding with HR to make sure that we're not doing anything illegal or really following their rules um, about how the search was gonna go. And so um, corresponding with all of the search people, their students, everyone. And so that was and has been my role as we've um, journeyed through cohorts. Great. And um, for me, uh, it's, it's, it's been kind of a fun sort of side quest to be invited into this whole experience. I, I came to the cohort um, uh, sort of experiment through a professional development committee that I've been on for a while um, that is sort of made up of a a lot of professionals from all over the division, different departments and different roles. And I was working on um, kind of a multi-year updating of onboarding new staff protocols and procedures. And so we re-looked at a lot of the ways that new folks come to us um, from moment of sort of understanding there's a position to their first day and what happens to them in their first year. Um, and so the result of some of that work that we had done, um, I was able to start to think about what would it look like to do this for the cohort? Um, and I, and I don't know whose who's idea this was uh, initially, Miles, maybe it was you, if so, uh, thank you. But uh, I was just really given the privilege to just dream about what it, what it could look like to bring six people in at once around uh, a singular, around sort of like a shared context inside of their different positions. Um, once they got here, what do we want them to experience? And so um, I had the opportunity to, to do some big thinking about what 
what would what would learning look like for them in their first year? What would social connections look like for them in their first year? What would some sort of like shared professional development experiences look like? Um, and really just create a prototype and start to work it. And um, so when they arrived, one of the first things they experienced was kind of this 10 week, uh, we called them summer, we called it a, a cohort summer seminar where we, we built out 10 weeks of content um, or about two hour sessions and um, lots of different learning and lots of different topics, everything from um, very practical, like this is how your job works. These are the tools we use. This is the tool stack. This is Teams, this is how it works. Um, this is how your calendar works. This is how we communicate to sort of more broadly abstract ideas around um, diversity, equity, inclusion, education, um, around universal design, around um, sort of uh, disruption and innovation and thinking about how you could do that from, um, from your position. And then also we did a lot of work in the community. So we went, talked about the Harrisonburg and Rockingham County community and what that meant for you as an employee of JMU and as a citizen of this place. Um, and then did some social stuff in between and some reflection and goal setting. And so, um, yeah, it was cool to be kind of, you know, on the bus for a lot of that stuff. Great. Well, and some of you have alluded to this, but what were your hopes? Like as you were, were dreaming and building, what were you hoping would be like, what is the why behind even doing this in the first place? What are your thoughts on that? Well, the theme for the initial court was diversity, equity, inclusion. And, you know, at JMU, it's a PWI. Um, and as we make strides, strides um, as a university to make it a more equitable place for people and to increase our diversity across the campus, we were trying to figure out a way to create a sense of belonging for people, create an opportunity for people to, um, if they wanted to be in this area, to come to the area, um, but then also when they got here, give them people that they <laughs> could be with, could go through this experience with. And so um, one of my biggest hopes, besides hiring more black and brown folks on the campus, which we did achieve that, um, was really to find ways to keep them here. Um, Harrisonburg is a is a nice, cute, quaint city. It's kind of hard for singles, though, um, in the sense that, you know, if you don't already have a family, you know, it's a college town, it's a small town. And so we wanted to also make a way that if couples want to apply together and move together, you know, how do you make it so that people can come here and like really thrive here? And so my hope, um, as we've done this every time, is that you know, when people get to JMU, you hear about this JMU bubble, you hear about this JMU experience, um, but we didn't want to sell them a pipe dream. And so how do we make it so that when you get here, what we're saying in your interview is really what it is. And so um, giving people a space to be themselves authentically, to kind of get acclimated to the area if they were coming from out of town, you know, providing safe space, brave space for them to kind of vent out like, oh my God, I'm new, I don't know what I'm doing. And just really just provide them opportunity to do this together without giving us anything back except do your job well and have fun while you're doing it and so we didn't have a project we didn't have anything that they had to like tangibly do as a payback for this experience but what can we give you so that as you're starting out you can have the best experience starting out as you could and so um that was my biggest and I, and I probably share that sentiment across the call um across, across all of us that was probably my biggest sentiment and hope that's great Anything others would add? Yeah, I think very similar to what Danae says, like we wanted, I feel like it, this to be a candidate-centered experience. Like this is about getting people, making this as easy as possible for them as well. 
So they could apply for multiple jobs and use the same application materials, where we know that that is not normally the case if you're applying to some, like a different job at the same university. Um, so like I know we've, we've gone through search processes before. It takes time to put all that stuff together, to tailor your resume, to tailor your cover letter. Um, so we try to take some of those things out to make the process easier for them. And on the flip side, that, that brought the challenge to us. Um, which was the idea from my perspective was to, to make sure we take that off the burden off of the candidates and so that they can have this great experience that they can interview one time for this for these three different jobs or whatever it was um, and it just saves a lot of their time and their energy because um, we're all kind of I think low on those these days so hopefully that was um, helpful for them in that process as well and then my other thing that I was really hoping for and that I think has happened is that the person in the role in my office, um, I really wanted them to be connected with other people on campus. And for like a personal and like a social sense, but also like for their work, it makes them easier to get things done. Um, if you know people and you have a community and you're talking to a student and you're like, oh yeah, I know this person in the career center. Like, yeah, let's go talk to them because I know them personally and you should meet with them too. Um, so I was really wanting that experience to happen, and I think it, it absolutely has. All right. It, it's interesting. Um, the class that I'm teaching, there were some presentations yesterday, and a couple of people presented on onboarding. And it, the way that you all have described this, it's like an extended onboarding starting probably before they even got there to do the initial interview, but definitely making that, um, I appreciate your, your point about making it um, candidate-centered. Um, and again, if you want to retain people, that, that's got to be part of the experience as we kind of figure out what does all of this look like post-pandemic and how do we build strong and thriving teams. So, I imagine this was pretty easy, not complicated at all. I'm just kidding. What were some of the uh, the challenges? Like, what were some of the things that you had to navigate? Um, and maybe if you're willing to share, what are some lessons learned? Um, because this isn't this wasn't a one and done kind of thing. So, how have you built on the first experience? And what would you share with listeners about? how you incorporated this at JMU. I'll just, I'll just jump in because I got three things that are like popping off my head real quick. Um, so I think the first thing is like, this is, as far as I understand it and what, what the history I've heard about this process or something like this happening at JMU, like this is a brand new thing for student affairs. Um, and it's, it, feel, it, it was pretty disruptive, even though maybe the model itself doesn't feel like it should be. I feel like it was a little challenging for a lot of the, the people that had to say yes, hiring managers in particular to sort of say, yeah, we're, we'd love to let go of control over our, you know, employees like year round onboarding experience and the interview process and the recruitment process. And so I think there's a lot of pitching, you know, there's a lot of here's why this is a good idea. Here's how this will pay off. Um, so I think there's, there's a bit of I don't know if politicking is, is not the right word, but it's the first one that came to my mind, but essentially sort of like influence gathering and sort of saying like, trust us, we can, you know, this is gonna be a great experience. Like we're open to feedback. It's a prototype so we can 
you know, do things on the fly. And I think that that there's there's not not that many people are around here at that time that were sort of like, let's go all in on something really new because I think we were still coming out of sort of like a COVID hang COVID hangover back at work. We were still in pandemic times trying to figure something out, and and I think there was a sense of like, how much more newness can we take? So um, I think the pitching and the influence building was sort of one thing, the, the gathering of the votes. Um, and uh, the I think the second thing was um, really helping. And then there's a trust on the other side too. So like, if you're going to, if you're going to pitch this to a candidate, you know, I, I've, you know, I think I was feeling a lot of pressure. I'm like, man, I hope we deliver the product that we are, that we're selling. And so, and that continues to, you know, I'm like, we're, we're, we're only halfway through with, with the coordinators right now. And so I'm like, our, we've gotten a lot of feedback. We've made some real-time adjustments. I'm like, are we still delivering the thing that we said we want to deliver, deliver? You know, is everyone still vibing? Like, are we doing it? Um, and, and so trust on both sides of the experience. And then um, I think the, the, the final thing is that like, one of the things I didn't realize in the midst of all this is that we, and, and I won't say like the general we, but what I heard a lot from the current participants in the, in the cohort model, they want to, they want to produce something. They, they want to, they want to, they want to like have something to show for their experience. They want to say like, you gave me this. So now I'm giving you this. Like, and I think there's, I didn't realize how much I had to push back on like, yo, this isn't a transaction. Like this is, this is like, you were chosen to participate in this experience. And like, Danae, you mentioned this already, but I just want to like, yes, and it, but like your presence in our community as not only as sort of like like diverse in lots of different identities but like diverse in the skills that you bring the way that you're going to meet students needs the way that you're going to contribute to sort of the the future building of our division that's that's the investment you don't have to say like look we collaborated on an event you know like no one's asking you to do that but i think there's this sort of like we've been conditioned so much to say like it's quid pro quo, right? Like I have to now produce something for you. And I think we, I spent a lot of time being like, no, you're good. Like, I just, you know, like if you're going to, if you're going to feel like you need to commit to something, like come to the meetings <laughs> and then like show up and have lunch with us. Like, and, and, and then like, you know, believe what we're doing is the right thing to do. Um, you don't have to, you don't have to like turn around and, and make something like you are, your your remain your ability to sort of believe what we're doing and then continue to invest in this community makes every single thing worth it. Um, so I think I didn't anticipate that being something that we'd have to like come back to over and over again. And probably we still will, you know, because that that sort of like produce, 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 show something, affirm me this way is like so ingratiated in who we are. But um, you know, I'm always willing to deconstruct that kind of stuff. So I'm sure I'll be back on with the bullhorn at some point talking more about that. Yeah, for me, I would add um, to that as the admin, um, a lot of people from all of the offices, departments involved were like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry you have to do this. Um, and so it almost felt like I was just like the help in the process, I guess. And so for me, it was energizing, like it, like the, the fast pacedness of this and the tension even, even though in the moment you're like, oh my God, what are we doing? Um, just the tension of it was was really fun for me as an admin and so um being able to tell people like hey no actually this is great and the ability that i have to take the burden off of all of the people involved brings me joy um and so you know being able to save money um 
was amazing. Um, but, you know, helping people see that this is not just a pity job that they gave me, but this is something that I was asked to do. And I was like, yes, we're doing it. Um, also managing the preferences of a big committee. And so there are a lot of different voices, a lot of different people, and some offices had multiple people on the committee. And so trying to navigate between here's what I would do if I was doing this by myself as a, as a department versus, hey, we're in this cohort thing together. Um, and so figuring out even what interview questions we were gonna ask, what were the requirements versus uh, preferred? What, you know, how are we gonna do the first round? You know, does a master's matter? Does it not matter? So just really trying to navigating those and even opinions of like, well, I wanna do it this way. So let me take it upon myself to do this when it's like, actually, no, that's not, we can't do that. Um, and so how can we really, bring everybody together with the thought of we're in this together and the goal is to have great people come to JMU and so no matter what candidate you end up with we had a really great pool by the way like we had a great candidate pool so no matter who ends up in your office space like really uh, giving people the space to just trust trust the process and trust me as their admin knowing like hey I might not get it all right all the time but we're in it together. And then HR was a challenge. Um, we had so many ideas. When you talk about onboarding from the beginning, we were going to do like group, you know, a group discussion about student affairs at JMU. And we were going to have lunch together. We were going to do all these things with the candidates together. And HR was like, absolutely, you will not do that. And so, you know, they couldn't see each other. They couldn't even know that they were here together for this interview. So you imagine flying about 14 people in, you know, bringing people in over a four day period. How do we make it so that they eat and don't see each other and how they're in the same exact hotel? How do we make it so that they don't catch each other on, on the elevator? Um, so trying to coordinate between the offices and, and shout out to student affairs, SA pros is what we call it, our professional development, really bringing people into the process to kind of help us move people around the campus because it was not an easy, uh, an easy feat. Um, but lessons, I guess, to learn. Um, is that I can do a lot more than I thought I could. Um, I'm a lot more resilient than I thought I could. And I can work with people who I thought I couldn't work with. And so I think the cool part about this process is not only do the candidates get exposure in the search committee, like I'm like, I know people and I get to talk to people across tables that I probably would not have had the same opportunity to um, outside of this process. And so you know, being able to fine tune this because we are currently, we just finished another cohort and we're going to start another one. Um, being able to take all that I learned and share my wisdom uh, with the new committees and then take what their experience and take it on to the next has been um, a really, really cool lesson for me to learn along the way. A quick follow-up, Danae, <clears throat> and if you don't have exact numbers, that's okay, but you said you brought 14 candidates to campus. Um, like, what was the pool? initially and then can you remind someone might have said this earlier but how many positions were you hiring for yeah so initially we were hiring for eight positions in the pool um and so that was one two four offices across all the positions two of them had three positions in it and then the other two had one. Um, so the pool for, of candidates that we got initially, we had about a hundred plus apply. Wow. And then we narrowed it down first round. And the cool part about it is if you apply for one, you got the interview for the others that you applied for. So if you made it, you made it for all of them. So we were able to interview candidates for two and three positions in their first round because it, it was more general. And then we brought about, I want to say about 14 to campus. Um, and so some people flew 
as far as California to Virginia, some people drove. Um, and we did that over a four day period. So we staggered morning and afternoon. We had breaks in the day um, so that people could, you know, breathe, eat. Um, and then we coordinated probably 50 plus students and staff and departments. Um, we opened up presentations for the whole division to come to. So we had a lot of people involved um, in the process from beginning to end. That's great. Thanks for that, I appreciate it. Other challenges or lessons learned that you wanna highlight? Mine is very brief. Uh, that was too many positions. Mm -hmm. It just, it, there's, we can, we can do this better and we can achieve a lot of what we wanna achieve without having quite that much of a coordination challenge. I think something like five or six positions, you know, maybe four to six is like a sweet spot in terms of like people actually having people to come in with. Um, and it grew, you know, I, I think that that's the challenge is that it can grow and there's a temptation to be like, we'll just add another end, we'll just add another end. And, um, and some of those didn't require, you know, we ended up hiring for, we were running the same process and ended up hiring three people for career advisor jobs. Um, and the great thing was the pool was really strong and we were able to hire additional people out of that pool that didn't really require additional work, but every additional committee member that you add on is, is a challenge, not necessarily because of the human element, but because of time scheduling, um, that person's department is now a part of that process. Um, you know, sometimes we would have, you know, we had, people hiring for multiple positions and that would get really tricky. Um, so it just, it becomes this, it becomes this really, really uh, complicated web and it just gets more and more, you add a layer to it and it seems like, oh, it's just this little thing, but it, it becomes, um, it becomes really, really complicated. So I would not simply put, I would not have more than like a maximum of six positions in any process. Um, because, and I think, I think Danae, I mean, 14 is maybe who we brought, who traveled to campus. I was trying to go back and look. I think that we had way more than 14 on-campus interviews. Um, it was just, you know, some of those folks were people, you know, it, it was less complicated having people internally in some ways. Um, we didn't have to coordinate travel and hotels and that sort of stuff, but they still had schedules and, and their, their days could still get really complicated. And one thing we overlooked that we sort of forgot, uh, for internal folks is parking. Um, cause we had grad students coming and, um, grad student parking is just more, you know, it's just less convenient and how folks are getting met and that sort of stuff. So got to make sure that you're taking care of your internal folks as well as you're taking care of your external folks. Cause it's easier to understand the need of somebody coming across the country. Um, but sometimes things can be pretty complicated for internal folks too. So the other thing, uh, other very briefly thing that I would do differently is I think I would ask the question of whether we need to have a presentation um, because the presentation is, if this is a pro-candidate experience, candidates don't want to do a presentation. That I mean, I've been a candidate. They're, they're, it's the hardest thing to prepare for. It's the most stressful thing to do. Um, and you know, different departments have different feelings about that. But I think it's a, I think it's a really important question because embedded within that, that was like the number one thing that we got complaints about from 
candidates going through the process was not giving enough lead time for the presentation. But then it gets complicated because if you've got people coming on different days for you want to give them the same amount of time to prep. Um, and so again, if it's really a pro candidate experience, we've got to think about it that way, sort of all the way through. So that's the other thing that I would mention. Oh, go ahead, Dom. Were you yeah, going to add? Yeah, I was going to add from kind of the search committee perspective um, that actually ties in really no nicely with what Miles just said is that um, I think all of us in different ways, we did have to give up control. So we had to give that on to Danae. We had to give that on to Miles. We had to give it on to the majority rules in the situation for decisions that were being made. Um, and yeah, it was absolutely frustrating at times. And we all, like Danae said, we had to kind of regroup and be like, okay, we're here for a common purpose. We're here to get good people here and get them hired. This isn't about me and how I want to run a search committee because we all know certain people, they have a way that they want to run their committees. Um, especially if you've done it numerous times before, you know, that's something you know how to do and you have a way of doing it and you're sticking to it. Um, luckily, I haven't done that as much. So I was, I think, a little bit easier to give up control. Um, it was absolutely still like hard at times, but like with the presentation example, I think I was maybe the only one that said, I don't want a presentation from my candidate um, because it's not in the central part of their job. They're not presenting as a part of their job. So I don't see them needing to do a presentation. Um, but the majority said, no, we need a presentation. So I was like, okay, our candidates are doing it. So I had to give that up, um, which is like, presentation isn't the end of the world, but hey, now I learned that people complained about it. So. <laughs> um, but it it makes sense. And it, yeah, um, I also had a really, really huge advantage that myself and Danae and Miles were all in the same office suite. So I was able to communicate with them a lot more easily than some other committee members. Um, where they're in a different building and they would only meet us like for our weekly meetings. Um, whereas Danae and I can just kind of like yell down the hall and be like, hey, can you change this? Yeah, sure. Great. So we had a really, um, really big advantage there with with us. That makes sense. Well, my last question, and it kind of overlaps with what you've all been talking about, but um you know, are there some things that you, so you've done this twice, you're moving into the third round, some things that you've changed along the way. And in addition, if someone is out there listening going, you know what, we should try this. The, let's, let's see what this looks like on our campus. What advice would you give to someone interested in starting to build this approach? Yeah, having been been a part of the experience twice now, um, one thing that we have changed, we have lessened the amount of positions in the cohort, um, I think, um, and, and the buy-in is better. So the benefit is that because we started this out and there were people that told us, absolutely not, I'm not doing a cohort, people have been able to witness it though. And so like the onboarding experience that the cohort has is different than pretty much any other employee. And so figuring even out ways to, to make it better for the new employee that may not be a part of the cohort has been something that we've taken away. Um, also, there's already a rubric. So in coming in, I'm like, okay, y'all, here are the dates. This is what we need to do. First round and second round, you need at least two weeks in between. And so um, being able to communicate to the new committee, you know, if they have questions, now we can answer the questions that probably were had the first time around that we were like, hey, we're figuring it out as we go. Um, another cool part about the cohort that I didn't mention earlier is the cost savings. We save so much money 
by doing the cohort. And so at JMU, typically to post one position is about $1,700. Between all of the offices, they spent maybe 2000 across all the offices to bring everybody, to feed everybody, to like to, to post it, to do all the things. And so if you are someone who is interested in potentially doing this, this will save the division a whole lot of money um, and as well as time and effort. Um, we had some other searches going on kind of around the time that we did the cohort. And when you think about the energy it takes to bring a whole division to a presentation or to campus partner interviews or you know some of these other components, the cohort did a great job of kind of bringing everybody to one central place and letting the candidates kind of move around so that way you're not expending people's calendars in their energy in their time and so really being concise um, would be something that I would advise someone who is considering this being very open to the process if you're coming into this process as a hiring manager um, or even as admin, because sometimes you you just have to work with different people and you have to figure out how to navigate communication styles and you know all that stuff. So really being open to what this process may bring, um, because there's such an appreciation I have now, even for hiring. Period. Being able to watch this, um, you know, multiple times, and then also have a plan. Have a plan for onboarding. Have a plan for, you know, your meeting times and all of that. I'm probably rambling now, but those are the things that popped out in my mind first. <laughs> That's great. Any other advice that you would give if if people are thinking about building this? I'll, I'll jump in real quick. I, I think um, you need a hype person, uh, especially if, if no one has any idea that this is like on, on your radar. Um, just even listening to Danae talk about logistics, huh? I, I was sort of mercilessly like apart from that whole experience. Like I feel like y'all passed the baton when they got it there, but I mean that just is it's just so much. And I didn't realize I didn't even realize how many positions were were. I mean I knew our positions, but I didn't even think about total number of candidates. You know, so it is it's a lift. And and I think I have no idea what other institutions sort of like culture around change or innovation or trying something new as a as a collective is like. Um, but I think if it if it feels like it moves at the same pace as the rest of higher education writ large, it's probably not going to be super quick, um, and it's probably going to be a little suspicious, and it's probably going to be a little bit like, uh, why would we do this when everything that we've always done is seems like it's working just fine? And so I think if you if you have a hype person who has their ducks in a row and they and they already have influence in the space, um, you can go around and get people on board, and they can they can go to that person's office, bring them a coffee you know, and say like, hey, here's why this is important. You know, I think one of the things that really tipped it over for me, other, so two things really tipped it over for me. One was seeing how our new employee onboarding experience before before and during the height of COVID in 2020 were, was really actually making people feel connected. So I'm like, okay, we're in the right lane, we're doing the right things. And then also at the same time, watching all sorts of people leave our university um, who who were not given the support they needed, and those people um, were represent, representative of of, of of like identities that we so lots of different social identities that weren't fitting with the PWI, you know, that weren't in line with kind of what Danae mentioned before about Jamie being a PWI. We were not seeing white people leave our institution. We were not seeing white white professionals leave our student affairs um, community at the same rate we were seeing we were seeing non-white folks you know leave and and those two things combined together i'm like okay we're doing something but also like it's not working 
for this set of folks that that we that have contributed so much in their short time that they were here and now they're gone. And so I, I think I think that was the thing that tipped over the car for me. We're like, we got to do something different. And and as soon as I think as soon as I was realizing like this could be this could at least be something that we've never tried before that has the potential to really create a community around around a higher um, and around a new imagination about what JMU from a student affairs practitioner's experience could be like, especially a new professional, a brand new professional. Um, that ultimately it became, I was like, I'll talk to anybody about this. <laughs> like, it does not matter. I will come to your office and I will talk to you about this, how important this is right now. And actually how important this was like two years ago, but we're now just, you know, we need to be in this right now. And so I think if, if, if institutions can find that person who has the like, flexibility in the space and the influence to be able to kind of like like whip up the votes. I don't know, I came back to that metaphor. It feels like the right not to be, it's not Congress, but like, I still think that energy is needed because there will be plenty of people who will be like, I'm all set. <laughs> or like, I'm not interested in that. Sounds like a lot of work. We're good over here, but, but sort of like building the vision for a collaborative, human-centered, candidate-centered experience that doesn't end when they get here but has the ability to really unlock some really special stuff for these people. Um, I think that's, that's going to be huge. That's going to be huge. Yeah. Well, oh, go ahead, Miles. I'm sorry. I, I, I will just add, I, I think uh, I would recommend doing it. That would be my advice to other people. Um, and I think I would just, piggyback on Tripp's point, I, you know, I was not the only one um, by any means. Um, uh, my colleague, Jaron Allen, and I co-chaired this, and we had a lot of support, particularly from our colleague, Dr. Brent Lewis. But I think a key thing that I just listed, I literally named myself and two other AVPs. And like, there was a very much a, you know, trust us, this will work conversation that was happening. But it was also attached to, you know, we had like a a formal slide deck we had put together to to pitch this to people and to talk to people about it. Like Trip used the term ducks in a row. We did, you know, to the best of our ability, have our ducks in a row. And we asked people to trust us. But the other part about this that I think is key is that I just listed three AVPs. There was there was a broad scale student affairs wide positional authority that was, you know, like I could say trust us. And it's fine if people did. And I think now they probably would because we have proof of concept. But before it was attached to positional authority. And so, you know, we said, you know, we said, trust us. But it was also attached, you know, as Dom said, she believed in this, but was also told to do it. And um, and so, you know, the told to do it part was was attached there, too. And so there has to be for this to work at, at a scale um, like what we're talking about and to create these cross departmental connections. You've got to have people at high levels who are supporting this, who are engaged in it, and uh, who are saying, you know, like those those people have to be the ones that are also saying trust us until you can get this thing off the ground because there is too much. Trip used the word disruptive earlier. This is this is too scary for too many people, and if you don't have departmental and divisional trust baked in, tied to positional authority you're going to, you're going to see pushback and you're going to see some challenges. Um, but is the juice worth the squeeze? Absolutely. There's, there's like no doubt about it. I was sold when we had a divisional meeting several months after folks started 
and I saw members of the cohort come together. Nobody told them to do that. Nobody said that they should be doing that. Um, they didn't work in the same place. They just found each other and they came to this thing together. And I was like, that is what a work community can look like. Um, and so um, to me, I was like, and we, you know, we conducted feedback sessions and we heard very clearly from the cohort that this is something worth doing. But to me, that was that moment. I was like, okay, this is doing what we, what we hoped it would do for the candidates. There's a lot of arguments about why we should do this as employers. Um, but to me, that is all secondary to what Dom and Danae said so wonderfully earlier, which was this was a pro-candidate experience from the very beginning. And that was like the centering argument that we always went back to was what is actually the best thing for the candidates. So. so I guess it went okay. <laughs> Um, I, I do have one question, but then I also want to give you some space if there are things I should have been asking. Um, are you all open if someone wanted to get, you know, some of the information about how you built this or even, you know, Danae, you talked about you got to have a plan. If people are interested in learning more or, or getting documents, are you open to outreach from other, other uh, programs, other institutions? Absolutely. I'm so pro cohort. I'll send you whatever you need. Um, and right. I think it's helpful to have a plan. So yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. So as we start to wrap up, what, what should I have asked? Or are there other insights or suggestions or observations that you all want to share? I would say once the candidates are here, the cohorts established, communicating expectations from the jump is probably pretty is pretty critical. Um, it's, it's busy. Coordinators are busy, uh, especially new ones, regardless of how long they've been at the institution. You know, um, and I think one of the things I'm glad that we were able to do is start in the summer. So all these folks started end of May, beginning of June, and we we had their attention. And I really felt August like we planned into August. Uh, with our summer seminars. Um, and I really felt as soon as August came, there was like a little bit of everybody sort of like looking around like, oh, there's other stuff going on right now. Like, I got to get back in, you know, this is happening. And obviously, like, we know that, you know, we know that months that start with A, you know, are going to have a lot more needs for us in student affairs world. Can't take credit for that. I heard in a conference a couple weeks ago, but I, you know, August, April, and um, what's the third one? There's a third one. But yeah, the months that start with A are stressful for us. And so I, I, that was real. So communicating expectations like, hey, we've, we've got this. This is happening for you. Um, and, and a big part of your experience with it is, is your presence. Um, and so being able to communicate that and have everybody sort of on the same page about that was big. So once they're here, expectations right away, as opposed to sort of like we're evolving. Um, like, you know, this is you can expect every Tuesday afternoon we'll be together. Um, until August 1st. And that was, I think, really, really helpful for us. Yeah, the only other thing I would add is I can, I, I believe, and Darm, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is I think this was such an empowering experience for the people involved. So yes, Miles talked about positional power and making people do it, but ultimately the power and the decision rested with the hiring managers. And so I think for every part of, or person involved, there's a cool opportunity for empowerment, um, leadership development, just professional development that I think also comes with 
having an experience like this. And so if it's something that you're interested in doing, um, there's more benefit than just getting great candidates and the candidates liking how we did it. But I think for the hiring folks um, and everybody involved, I think it was a cool, cool empowerment um, experiment, I'll say, um, for, for, for the hiring folks too. All right. Well, thank you again. I appreciate this. Last question, honest this time. Um, what is something that's giving you hope right now? And it could be related to this, but it could be something completely removed from your work experience. Um, just just a thought about something that, that is inspiring hope. And Miles, if you wouldn't mind starting it off this time. Yeah, I mean, I would start by saying like this conversation, this process, the people on this call, our other colleagues who are so good at their jobs and so willing to do right by new employees is incredibly like hope inspiring for me. Um, this is what interdependence looks like. And yes, there were parts of this that were really hard. Um, you know, Danae and I had a couple of, you know, a couple of minutes when we were in the middle of this, where I sat down at the chair by Danae's desk and we just had to breathe for a second. Um, you know, like this was, you know, this was hard and it required a lot of people to sacrifice a lot of stuff, um, time control. Um, but gosh, it, it's just, it, it's, it's so much better. And I think that there like has to be hope and the willingness of like people, to sacrifice to not only make a process better for like what this can be for our students um, because of people being engaged and empowered, but also what it can mean for people as employees. Um, so I feel a ton of hope with that. I also just started reading this book called Flourish by Martin Siegelman, which is about the basic tenets of positive psychology. And there's just like a lot of hope in that. Um, I found like even in just starting it, like how exciting it is to get rid of the idea of happiness is like smiliness and constant levity, um, but making it be about meaning and relationships. And so um, I don't know, as somebody who doesn't like um, feel things on a regular basis, like I just don't have like a lot of daily, like, you know, like, um, you know, like bubbling inside of myself as a human being, I was like, but I do have these other things and that's great. Um, so I'm feeling a lot of, a lot of hope with that. That's great. Danae, what about you? What's, what's your hope right now? Yeah. So I'm on this very cool, interesting, hard journey of just contentment and like healing of trauma and just different things in my personal life. And I can see how those things are impacting every other sphere of my life. And so Though it's really hard work, I know that as I'm continuing to journey through that and, you know, my church right now, the sermon is satisfied, the satisfied soul looking at con being content. Um, and so I know that as I'm journeying through personal things, how that is going to bleed out in a good way um, on others. And so I'm just excited to impact those around me. And as a grad student, there's only 16 days in the semester. And so I'm just hopeful that as I finish these projects and find contentment even there, um, that there is a whole half a month break <laughs> on the other end of that. And so I'm excited for the holiday season and just being able to spend time with my family and just getting some just some legitimate like rest um, in the next couple of weeks. Trip, where's your hope? I will, um, uh, yes, and to what Danae said about the season, I think between Thanksgiving and um, the like winter holidays are always 
a time that I feel hopeful for me and uh, sort of the Advent season is something that really pushes me to slow down and think about like the rhythms of the world are different than the rhythms of my daily life. And it's, so it's like a collective kind of like sigh at the end of the year. Um, and I really kind of leaned into that a little bit and attached to that is the fact that the, the, when the, the leaves that fall on the, off the trees on, in my backyard are gone, um, I can see the sunrise over the big mountain and uh, over the big Massanutten mountain, which is like one of the biggest mountains on our, um, on our skyline. And um, it's, it's incredible every day. And the last couple of days have been um, just like a, like a fireworks show. So um, that's been giving me hope. That's great. And here you go, Dom, you wrap it up. You bring home the hope for everybody. Uh, no pressure. <laughs> no, um, no, but I think that um, if it's an idea like this with the cohort model or something different that people are doing in their area of work, whether it's student affairs or elsewhere, of like just trying something new, trying something innovative to change things because it's just a weird time in the world. We're getting out of this pandemic. We need to rethink a lot of what we're doing. Um, our students are doing it. They're, they're challenging universities and saying like, you can't do it this way. It needs to be this way. We're learning a lot from them. So I think the fact that, you know, we tried something new, we're, we're going to keep trying it um, until, you know, it gets better and better. Um, and so when I see things like that happening, it's, it makes me very hopeful for this type of work and to just keep me, keep me in it, even though it's, it's definitely, definitely challenging. Well, thank you all so much. I, I really think this is innovative work, and I hope that there are going to be some listeners out there who rethink doing what's comfortable and what's established and really recentering who, who are we prioritizing when we do searches and when we say we're trying to build community and connection in and beyond the workplace. So... Um, this was a, a really exciting and a wonderful episode. Um, today's Essay Today podcast is brought to you by SAXA. As always, we thank them for their support. I would like to leave you with a quote today. Uh, today's quote is from John Lewis and is, if you come together with a mission and it's grounded with love and a sense of community, you can make the impossible possible. And this episode is like when I was looking for a quote I'm like oh here's here's the quote so um so thank you all for the work that you have done and are continuing to do to not just change where you are but to offer a, a new way of doing to all of higher ed and and beyond I mean this could happen in other spaces as well so my name is Michelle Botcher. It has truly been a pleasure to host this episode. Have a beautiful day.